Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the XYZ podcast, where we talk about science, CNC, automation, and I uh, spend a lot of time insulting Craig. How's it going, you lime <laughs> Basically, yes, yeah. Either talking yeah. about space or insulting myself, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My name's Aaron Goff. I'm a knife maker and machinist, and this is Craig Lockwood, my fellow co-host, who uh, owns Chop Knives and makes amazing knives, don't you, mate? Oh, well, thank you very much. I certainly try, certainly try. It's been a busy week, hasn't it? What what have you been up to? Yes. Uh, I went to the shop on Sunday, which is like the start of my work week, and um, I couldn't make myself work because the shop was kind of <laughs> messy and disorganized. And I ended up going on a what my girlfriend calls a cleaning rampage. Um, I actually tore my entire shop apart oh, and wow. uh, started reorganizing it and, and so on. And it's um, it's now Tuesday, and it's still in process. <laughs> <laughs> one of those things where you need to make a mess to get it in, into shape. Gotcha. Oh, boy, and did I ever make a mess yet? Oh, all right, okay. <laughs> I will say, though, like, I've been trying to work out a way to, like, organize my shop better for a while. And, mm. um, you know, tool chests are so expensive. Like, so expensive. Yes. Holy yeah. shit. And someone on Practical Machinist recommended filing cabinets. And I was like, nah, filing cabinets are ugly and stupid. And then... Someone in my building was throwing out three filing cabinets, all in like pretty good shape. They just needed cleaning, and I was like, you know what? Let's try it. And um, but, yeah, I'm converted, man. They're the shit. Really? They're quite deep, aren't they? And any any drawers for me are just where things go to die. If they're in a drawer, they're not visible, <laughs> and they they're never seen again. I can never find them. And I think especially a filing cabinet, which is quite deep, that sounds like my worst nightmare. No, it's 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 pretty great from what I've seen so far. Like. You know, like I've got one cabinet, one drawer that's got like my circular saw and orbital sander and sawzall and like nail gun in it. And then another one um, where I've got all the spare parts for my fiddle. Um, yeah, man. I've, so I used to use these plastic tubs that go on the floor, like kind of underneath my benches for organization. And I've emptied like nine of those and I've only filled four drawers. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. That's good. Well, I'm sort of doing the opposite. So um, <laughs> we we finally got the keys to our new place. Um, mm, nice. Just, yeah, just yesterday, actually. Um, so I was over there this morning, and I'm pacing out the new shop, what's going where, and we're putting up a few new walls, that kind of thing. And um, I'm going to be doing the opposite. So <laughs> I, I mentioned before having a sort of a clean side and a dirty side. Yeah. With a glass uh, partition between the two. Um, but I'm going to have a grid system built on the wall, um, basically a shelving system, which is just being a grid. Um, so each sort of hand tool, when you talk about, you know, mm-hmm. saws and drills and all that kind of thing, they'll all have a spot, a cell within this grid. 
Um, and that's going to be on the clean side, <laughs> not the right. dirty side. Yeah. So everything having its space, um, but nothing sort of hidden away, which is, which is my my biggest problem. But mm. um, yeah, it's we're a long way away from that being even half finished, you know. Well, um, you should you should try and do one thing that I just did as well. Actually, I had this set up in my old shop, and I've been meaning to set it up in the new shop for a long time, but I only just got around to it. Which is, I built a wall like you're going to to divide the clean side and the dirty side, mm-hmm. and then there are air cleaners that run constantly, pushing filtered air from the dirty side to the clean side, so that there's always positive pressure in the clean side, which keeps the dust out. Gotcha. Ah, okay. Yeah, ah. mm. I've seen people um, do that when they're putting sort of plastic up, you know, instead of building mm-hmm. a wall, they just put plastic up and using that positive pressure, doing it that way. Yeah, that mm. works great. Like I just set it up in the in the shop. Basically, I had these air cleaners that I bought um, like two years ago, and I haven't really been using them because they wouldn't take standard like HVAC filters. Yeah. Um, so I actually cut the fronts off them. I was the other day. I was. Just, I, I keep. Do you ever have like? you know, oh, I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to, you know, and then you never do it because, you know, you're the, the doing it the right way just takes too long. So I was yeah, just like, you know Yeah, it's too much of a task to do it the right way. Yeah. 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 I was just like, you know what? I'm, I, I'm fucking annoyed that I haven't done this. So I just took an angle grinder. I cut the fronts off them. And then that lets me fit a standard, like, a 12-inch by 24-inch furnace filter in them. Mm. And then I precariously hoisted them to the top of a ladder and mounted them to my ceiling. Um <laughs> But yeah, between yeah. the two of them, they'll clean the uh, full, all the air in my shop every three minutes. Yeah, wow. Well, wow. and how often are you cleaning the filters or, or replacing filters then? Um, kind of depends. Like if you're if you're um, so I like I have dust collection on every tool that makes dust anyway. Mm-hmm. But there's always right, a little yeah. bit that escapes, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're like source dust collection is pretty good, then like maybe change the filters like every six months or once a year or something. No, oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. That's good to know. It just means so, like so, you can sorry, it just means you can use like an angle grinder or some shit without like filling your shop with crap. You know, yeah. like it, it all stays uh, yeah. on the dirty side. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, one of the good things about the new shop is as well as having a a, a dirty side clean side, basically it, it's a shop within a big barn. So I'm putting mm-hmm. partitions so this this is raised above so it's almost like on a mezzanine so it's, it's quite high. Um, but when I'm doing things um, which I can do anywhere, such as, you know, grinding with a hand grinder or anything like that that I need to do, I can do that in sort of the main barn. So it's not either, even in the, right. the duty or the clean side. And there's big, huge barn doors either side with a massive through breeze. Um, right. So, yeah, so, so, so it's sort of the best of both worlds. Um, but uh, I'm just one of those people and I just can't wait for things to be done you know yeah um so yeah. it's going to be a, the next couple of months it's going to be a real struggle for me i think mentally just because i know i've got this better place there but i haven't got over the line yet I, it's not ready to be used so right. immediately so you're gonna have, i hate you're gonna have both shops for a while i guess yes yeah so my current shop i immediately hate it just because i've got <laughs> this vision of a better shop in my mind now right. um and it's too small here where i am as well this this current shop is way too small so yeah, it's 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 going to be exciting, and um, it's going to. It's a weird word, but it's almost going to be like a hangout place for me as well, really. So, it's attached. It's a barn attached to the house, 
Um, so, oh. you know, if, if I need yeah. a bit of space or need to get away from the kids for a little while, right. um, it's a place I can go. And, oh, um, i got to so, go yeah. work. Uh, yeah, and there's yeah. there's going to be a couch there, and I've got like an old um, arcade machine. I'll be in there. <laughs> it's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a boys' club just for myself, um, right. and that's obviously on the clean side. Um, so yeah, it, it's going to be super fun. Can't wait. Nice. So what else you been up to apart from trying to clean the shop and not getting anywhere? You're sort of one step forward, three steps back. Um, anything else at all? Uh, I finally started work on on my kitchen knife which is exciting. Ah. Yeah, so I like did all the CAD modeling for that last week. I need to do a video showing how I do like CAD modeling for mm. for knives. Because um, I, I showed Mike the model and he was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was actually much easier than I was expecting, which is nice. So yeah, that, that's that's exciting. Like it's, uh, it's actually a real step, tangible step. So yeah, and is this pretty much as seen in in the last video that you did, or is, is there been any amendments or changes to the design or anything? Pretty much, I like I, I put a little bit more belly on um, on the the kind of straight section near the heel. I just we all have rounded it. We've all bit. put a bit more belly on. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I've done that too. Um, yeah, apart from that, not not too much. I'm I'm gonna be experimenting with some like textures and stuff. So good stuff. Good stuff. Yep. Looking forward to seeing. Very it. exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I finished the the sort of three D mock ups, if you like, of the the folded knife that I've been working on for quite a while nice. now, um, and I'm pretty pleased with how they look. Um, I had a bit of help from a friend, um, simply because it's it's always that thing when you're trying to explain to somebody about like grinding a bevel, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't. You can't just grind straight across because where the tip falls down, you need to put more pressure towards the tip. Otherwise, it'll just thicken out at the tip. Yeah. So I was struggling in in CAD to get that sort of taper. Mm. You know, I, I could take something and shear straight across, but then when it came to the tip where the tip drops, it, it, it was getting thicker. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I sort of split up into segments um, and did them. Each. So it's not a gradual thing in my model, um, but it, it it does the job. It does the job okay. just for sort of visual. So purposes. yeah, I do need to make my video so you can do it the easy way. You do, yes, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, just to describe it to you, I mean, it's a podcast. It's maybe not the most useful thing, but you <laughs> you um you make your blade as a you know a flat outline, and then you make a triangle, uh, a sketch triangle, um, where your plunge line would be that is kind of the cutout on each side for your bevel. And then you sweep that along the edge of the blade. And then it it does the taper and everything for you. You don't have to worry about it. Ah, okay. I, I think I've got you, actually, yeah. Yeah. So you're not, yeah, yeah. You're not just using a flat plane. You're using a triangle no. to make that taper at the same time. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, and once you okay. get it, you're like, oh, that's easy. But, yeah, it, yeah if you're newer to CAD, it, it, it's a bit of a learning process. Right. Okay. Um, in other news, the <laughs> the <laughs> the shitty CNC has arrived, and oh. not as shitty as I thought it would be. Really? Shock horror. Even um, with that little three hundred watt spindle, eh? Well, yeah, that was the biggest surprise, to be honest with you. So the the really shitty, if we <laughs> the really shitty CNC I've got, the the, the tiny little thirty eighteen, um, mm-hmm. that's got a three hundred watt spindle too. But this is a very different spindle. It's 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 yeah, far beefier. Um, and that you know that was terrible. This one is it's been impressed, and I've been using it a lot during the week. Um, 
I, it's not all positive. <laughs> the first thing was turning it on um, and putting it together was very simple. You literally just put the motors on, uh, yeah. and the couplers on onto the screws. Um, turning it on halfway through the first job, a screw fell on the floor. <laughs> a, bolt, a bolt fell on the floor, rather. And I'm like, oh, and I've that. taken this thing... I wouldn't say apart, but I can't find where this bolt came from. So I'm oh, you're going to spare? That, uh, maybe, and they just, I don't know, they'd uh, <laughs> hot glue gun this bolt somewhere just as a spare and it's fallen off. <laughs> That's the only thing I yeah. can think of. It's, yeah, it's it's not, it was a bit worrying, but um, I can't find where it's come from. Um, and the thing is pretty solid. It's, it's, it's surprising. <laughs> so I've, be, I mentioned last week about making a, like a knife rack. Yeah. Um, for sort of restaurant orders, so rather than just send a bunch of knives, there's this rack that they can store them in at least. Um, design that I used, um, Aspire by Vectric. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Which which is pretty cool. I, I'm I'm really impressed with it, and um, knocks something up, and it, it it can bang these out every twenty minutes. So I've I've made probably a dozen here ready to go for when the orders come in. Um, oh, nice. Works really well. Um. Everything is good. Um, what I would say is it it's it's uses Mac three. Um, and when I first opened it, I was like, "Oh my god, this this isn't going to work for me." I was thinking this really isn't going to work, and I was considering swapping out the controller board for maybe a a Gerber controller because that's stuff I've used before. It's funny um, how like because you and I have software backgrounds, like just by looking at something, we make a judgment. Like if yes. it looks like shit and no yeah. one has put any user interface like thought into it we're both like oh fuck this yes yeah. exactly so i i did the classic thing but then going online to see you know what what other controller boards people have been using with these machines and all that mm -hmm. kind of thing and the general sort of response from most people was like well why would you do that use your mark three why use a, a lesser system and i'm like lesser really so like, right okay let, let's get to know the basics of this at least and i absolutely love it it's really it's 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 really cool it's so it's got this this um feature on there where you can apply a um a script to a button so any button within mark three mm -hmm. um you can apply a, a script you can use visual basic um which you can refer to the g code as well within that and it'll run that script when you hit the button right so first off was doing like a a z probe um, operation, so it would go down and lift itself up by a certain amount and certain speeds and so on. Um, did that, and I was like, wow, this is giving me lots of control. Right. Um, really, really loving it. So I was thinking this knife rack that I'm making, um, the, the initial prototype I made held 28 knives, but sometimes mm -hmm. I'll have an order, maybe, and it's just for 12 knives for a restaurant, or it could be for 30, or it could be for 50. And the way I, I designed this with um, Aspire is rather than put these the slots for each knife, if you imagine there's a slot for each knife, rather than put one slot in, I'll make one slot, and then you can tell it as um, to make almost like a grid of how many you need, mm. and then yeah. you duplicate that so you, the spaces are the right. Yeah, so like a pattern. Like, exactly. Yeah. And and I was looking at the G code then at the end, and I was thinking, well, this could be controlled <laughs> with a script within actually within Mac three. Yeah. So I could have a script and say, I want this to be made for. 50 knives and it would then make the g-code for 50 50 slots and that's i don't know i just find that really really quite powerful compared to you know what i was using before right so there's so much to learn with it and that's what i'm really enjoying and i didn't think i would um 
yeah, so it's all good. I did have one screw up, um, and that was due to my laptop. <laughs> um, a blue screen in the middle of a process. Right. And um, obviously, yeah, the, the, the piece I was using is then scrap. Um, so that's that's gone. But um, completely enjoying it. So I've been mainly with wood, to be honest with you. I've been using it. Um, I've done some engraving on some brass plate. Um, and I have done a fair bit of G10 as well, G10 handles, which are sort of quarter inch thick. It's not super fast, but it allows me to get on with something else while it does it. It's right. I'm happy. I'm happy for such a low cost machine. Yeah. I mean, as I've said before, like the first machine that I bought was, was probably more than what you've spent on this one. And you know, that was such a piece of shit. It's pretty amazing that there's an option like that out there now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it it is super cool. I mean, the the stuff it came with was was pretty shit with regards to you know the cutting tools and so on, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's still only going to have that sort of ER11 collet. So, um, you know, you, you can never use these sort of bigger bits on it. But for the stuff that I'm anyway. doing, such yeah. as handle material where you want to nest things as close as possible and have little waste, mm-hmm. a sort of eighth inch bit is it's working well, working well. Look at you speaking inches. I know. Uh, yeah. Okay. Three point one seven five millimeter better. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, there you go. It's so much easier. There we go. Um, yeah. yeah, it sounds really good. Yeah. Have you found any pitfalls with the machine? Like any things you immediately wished were better? There are no limit switches. Um, no limit switches or no home switches. Either. Either. Right. So you can crash crash very easily. Um, but Mark Three <laughs> allows you to set. Um, soft limits right? Um, where it, it effectively thinks it has a limit switch when it gets to a certain point uh, yep. it'll just stop even if the program wishes it to go further it won't um, yep. so that's very handy and again that's something that I'd never had with another machine but which Mark III allows me to have right um, it is I'm pretty sure a cracked version of Mark III as opposed right. to a full on red and it came with the machine so it's sort of legit because it came with the machine. I haven't gone and done anything. Right. Um, but I'm thinking, um, even though I won't get any extra um, features by, by getting a proper registered version, I think I will just so I can use the support a bit better as well. Um, right. Because as I said, I'm just really enjoying the process of learning more about Mark III and how it works. I'm a complete There is a newer version called Mark IV the, um, as well. Yeah, and but even the people who are sort of, you know, hardcore users of them, most are still mm-hmm. using Mark III apparently because they're not happy with Mark IV. Um, oh, interesting. And I think it's a free upgrade, so I could maybe possibly have have both anyway. Mm. But yeah, who'd have thought that I, this this ugly piece of software is actually um, lots and lots of fun to use? Well, you know what, you should try um, PathPilot as well, Tormax system. Because that's right, built on yeah. Linux CNC, which runs on Linux, and I would generally say it's more stable than than Mark III, um, mm. and it has a lot of similar functionality. I think Mark III might be a bit easier to to kind of modify at the very accessible level, like what you're doing with with Visual Basic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like PathPilot's very PathPilot has like a macro language built in, so you don't actually need to like. Um, script in the UI itself. You can script in your G-code programs instead. 
Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But would I need a different controller board for that then, though? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I would have thought so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably have to change a bunch of stuff. So it yes. might not be worth it, but like if you want to try different options, then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I'm really enjoying about this for such a low cost machine, it lets mm-hmm. me sort of play with 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 software which is probably well above its pay grade for the machine you know right. so when it does come to getting a better machine i'll have a good understanding of, of of the software um but yeah i'm i'm a convert to, to mark three i'm really enjoying it and um yeah it's all good you, you know nice. the, the best the best thing i've got happening with it is, is this this z probe script you can call WAV files within, obviously, within Visual Basic too. So I'm getting a, a computer voice to do a five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> then the bit's coming down, touching up, and it's, it's going, you know, um, zero has been found, and then it goes home and stuff. I'm just Is it in your up. voice? No, it's not. It's just a WAV <laughs> file that I found, and I'm using it. But it, 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 it's quite funny just to have, yeah, just uh, geeking out That's on funny. stupid stuff, really. It, it's quite nice. Well, yeah, I mean, so um, my Fedals don't have home switches or limit switches either. They use software really? okay. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the system that the Fedal uses is that um, on servos, there's um, often what's called like a, a tachometer pulse, which is like a special pulse from the encoder that only happens once per rotation. Mm. So what it does is you put the machine, you align it um, with these like flags that are in the middle of each axis, precisely in the middle, and uh, you 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 know press the homing cycle, the cold start cycle, and it oscillates like half an inch back and forth from that start position, looking for that that once per rotation pulse, mm. and then once it finds it, it uses that as the the home position right in the middle of each axis. Um, and then it just uses soft limits to stop you from crashing into the, yeah. the ends of travel. And that actually works really well because um, then you have, you know, no home or limit switches to go wrong, um, which yeah. is often a problem. Um, and it's, you know, super accurate because it's using the actual encoder pulses to yeah. to find them. And what I'm finding with, certainly with the cheaper machines anyway, if they do have limit switches, mm-hmm. they're these little bits of, tiny little bits of metal that sort of flex back. And there's yeah, a, you right. know, the little micro switch then that that'll hit. And to me, they, they're never going to be that accurate because surely that the springiness of that, that metal is going to change over time. And it's, yeah. you know, finding home exactly the same point each time is never going to be the same. And actually, finding home, that, that was one thing that I got confused about when I first opened Mark III because previously using easel, there was literally just, just home. Um, right. But with Mark III, you get, you get machine zero as well. And yes. it took a while for me to get my head around the difference between machine zero and your axes for home. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I got that, it was like, well, that makes perfect sense, of course. Yes, and and uh, you can have multiple um, coordinate systems, mm. right? So, um, yeah, that's like that's a pretty standard thing once you get up to like the bigger machines and machining. So you you have the machines coordinate system, and then you have your work offsets so you have a zero that's related to a program basically so you know in a program if you have 10 individual parts on a fixture plate you could actually have 10 individual work offsets if you wanted to one for each part and then change between coordinate systems um yeah which is super super useful 
So I actually have one coordinate system on my machine that never changes. It's uh, work offset number 10, and it's uh, at the face of the table in the middle of X and Y. Um, and all of my fixture plates actually mount to my machine table using DAL pins, so their their position is repeatable. And then I just never change a work offset. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, I just program everything in Fusion with that as the origin, and then off I go, and it's fantastic. Nice. And you're handing off that G code then to the machine. Yeah. Um, you you're not tethered to the machine then. No. Like the issue that I had with the blue screen. Okay. Yeah, which is very nice. Yeah, I was going to say, if you do have problems with blue screen, it's like it might be um, like a memory stability issue or a CPU issue on that machine. You know, I guess if you want like the ultimate instability to make sure that never happens, like buy an old server with ECC RAM. Use that as well, your we, CNC We computer. did have a message actually from somebody on Instagram. And let me just pull that up. Um because I'm doing exactly that. I've got an old um, IBM laptop um, mm-hmm. that I'm running Windows 10 on. Uh, and again, Mark 3 shouldn't really be run on Windows 10, but people have made some changes to it, so it can. Um, also, sorry, shouldn't be run on laptops. Um, and I've that's that's actually a, a yeah. And I've only had that cause... issue once. Yeah. It seems to be because I then turned off all the uh, the sort of power options that you have with a laptop about, you know, mm. putting screens to sleep and, you know, resting batteries, all that kind of thing. And I haven't had that issue again. It ha- I haven't been able to replicate it. So, so I'm hoping it was something to do with the um, the power management of the laptop that, that caused right. that. I don't know. Uh, but it's only happened once, and I'd say it's probably been running for 20-plus hours, um, and it's happened once. So I, I'm pretty pleased, pretty pleased. Yeah, and, uh, that's we, the reason honestly, why just ultimately, opened... like using laptops is a bad idea for uh, for a machine controller because of all the power management stuff. Like, yeah, they'll change clock speed on you and you know all that kind of stuff. So desktops are generally a better choice. Yeah, and we've actually had a message um, on Instagram from Pete uh, Foradori. Um, I think that's how he says it. Um, and I think the first thing he says is, no need to repeat this on air. <laughs> he does. No need to read this on the podcast. But this is for Craig, the dumb one. Um, he, he didn't actually say that, but we all know he meant it. Um, if you aren't feeling... If you aren't... Uh, if you aren't feeling getting a sketchy... I'm not quite sure what he means. If things are a bit sketchy, maybe, on a used Pentium PC... Sorry, I'm reading this completely wrong. <laughs> Um, he says, basically, get a used Pentium PC off the internet. They sell small, low-powered PCs on Amazon and other sites that businesses use for setting up single-use kiosks for employees um, or that are particularly good for running as dedicated machines for entertainment centers. Uh, they run at about $150 or so and could easily control your software. Yeah. So I think, yeah, he's talking about you know just a standard low-powered desktop, I assume. Would would probably do a better job, as you say, than than a laptop. Yeah, they sell these tiny little all-in-one machines, which is what he's referring to. They're like, you know, six inches on a side and only like three inches tall or something. Yeah, and yeah. they come with like um, an Intel like Atom or Celeron or Pentium processor in there and like RAM and everything, like good to go. Mm. Um, so yeah, they're a great form factor for like mounting to a, a CNT machine or whatever, and. You know, it's a new new computer, so it's probably going to be more reliable than your shitty yeah. old laptop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for the shitty old laptop on the shitty little CNC, I tell you what I did buy from um, 
AliExpress because it's the only place I could find one. Um, <laughs> is one of the little sort of pendant remotes. Um, mm. It's just mm-hmm. a little USB thing, so you, you can jog the machine to where you need it and and home things. And does it have a jog wheel or is it just buttons? It has a wheel. Yeah, well, that was Ooh. the thing. Most of them only had buttons, but this one has a wheel, um, and and a bunch of physical switches as well, not just buttons. So you can change the access that you're you're controlling just right. from that one wheel. Oh boy, you're gonna um, really like that. Yeah, it's it's it looks pretty cool. It hasn't arrived yet, but um, it looks pretty cool. But you know. AliExpress, it'll probably take about eight months for it to come. The machine will and be dead it, and buried by then. <laughs> when it comes, it'll be made of Lego or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but uh, yeah, that's quite exciting because, um, again, something else with Mark III that took me a long time to uh, realize is when you're jogging around, um, changing that to step mode um, and being able to change that speed on step mode or the distance on step mode. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of keys you've got to press for that. It's not as simple as just, you know, pressing a key or, or, or whatever. There's a bunch of stuff you've got to do. So with this little remote pendant thing, that'll just make things so much, much quicker. <laughs> I see I see a progression happening here. You're going <laughs> to get more and more serious, and then six months from now, you'll have a VMC in your new shop. Quite possibly. I'll, I'll have yeah. the room at least anyway, so, so that's something. So... <laughs> I wanted to talk about, we, we, we made a few notes a few weeks back about possible things to talk about. Um, and one of them was the sort of the benefits and pitfalls of ball screws, lead screws, and so on. The machine that I've got is, you know, certainly at the lower end of the scale. Um, mm. And it claims to have trapezoid screws. Yeah, which um, just means lead screws. Leads, it is just a lead screw. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, because um, the difference is like a standard thread comes to like a sharp point. Whereas a lead screw, um, the thread walls are more steep. They're more like square. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like a standard thread is actually designed to like wedge, right? Because you don't want a, a nut and bolt like coming undone. Um, whereas with a lead screw, you need a different angle on the thread walls to stop it from, from wedging. Because you want to be able to transfer, you want to be able to turn motion into linear motion sorry rotation into linear motion as you know efficiently as possible yeah yeah well that makes sense that makes the sense. trapezoid so the next logical upgrade um what most people seem to be doing if they buy the frames of these shitty mm-hmm. little cncs um is they'll change to ball screws as opposed to right. lead screws um, what would be the benefit? Is is that just less backlash, or what? What what is the benefit of that? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, you can actually get like zero backlash lead screws, um, mm. and they work really, really well. the The main problem is that the load cap- carrying capacity of zero backlash lead screws tends to be quite small. You know, like twenty or thirty pounds, because um, right. they're made of like a a springy plastic material that kind of squishes into the threads on the lead screw. Um, And with that mechanism comes more friction. So more than likely your top speed will decrease and your um, acceleration will decrease. Does does your machine not already have anti-backlash nuts? It does. It has, um, yeah, like, um, I think they're 3D printed actually. Um, Oh, okay. These plastic things that that fit, yeah. They say they're they're backlash nuts, um, but there doesn't seem to be any backlash. And whether it's just because it's 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 fairly new, um, and it's mm. you know over time maybe that that will become an issue. But it I, will, I, yeah. 
you know, for for you know, for what I'm using it for, um, it it's it's doing the job that you know for handle materials right. that kind of thing. When you say there's no backlash, have you put a dial indicator on it and like <laughs> measured, or have you just gone ah, oh, there's no backlash? I'm not a fucking machinist, okay. <laughs> I, do you, I give do it a you own a dial to, indicator? <laughs> I do actually. I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's good. Um, that's a good point. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. Uh, yeah, just like even out of curiosity, like I, I'd be curious to see how much backlash yeah. there is in it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So I mean, like ultimately, to get rid of backlash, you have to like take clearance out of that assembly. You know, there has to be like no space in between your nut and your lead screw. Um, hmm. And to do that in a traditional lead screw, you. Yeah, end up creating more friction, right? So lead screws are already pretty inefficient. They're like 50% efficient at best, you know, 50 or 60. And then you take out any clearance that you might have to make it zero backlash and that efficiency drops even more. So, you know, you're creating heat, you're, you're um, reducing your like maximum acceleration and maximum speed. So um, a ball screw, instead of having like, you know, plastic kind of scraping against metal or metal scraping against metal. A ball screw uses individual ball bearings as the interface element between your nut and your screw. So they actually like roll in in that gap to lock the nut and the screw together. Okay. Um, so almost like on the the uh, the bearings on the rail where you have yeah, yeah. The, the tiny little ball bearings that are making that movement you'd have yeah. them within the screw okay within the screw path yeah except in a rather than being in like a straight line it's in a spiral yeah right so the ball ball bearings are going in a spiral um and what that means is that your friction between the screw and the nut drops like an incredible amount like ball screws are like 90 plus percent efficient um okay. and that means that in turn you can have very little amounts of clearance um, in fact, you can actually go to an interference fit where the the ball screw, the individual ball bearings are actually a little bit larger than the grooves in the nut and the ball screw, and that means that the whole system becomes preloaded. So there's no backlash at all because there's no room for anything to move. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even with that system, because you have the rolling elements, the friction is still very low. Um. So yeah, like ball screws are are you know, the ideal, like the, you know, all the big machines have them. Um, mm. You can get them quite inexpensively on AliExpress. And I actually bought some a while ago that were like, mine were on the higher end. They were like 150 bucks for a, a screw. Um, but that was with the thrust bearing assemblies and all that kind of stuff. And, and they look really nice. Um, I haven't, I haven't tested the backlash yet. I've just been, I've just gone, oh yeah, they look pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Call but yeah, machinist. I know, right? But yeah, like the ball screws are definitely the way to go if you want better performance. Right. The downside okay. is that because they have all of those little ball bearings and stuff, they are more sensitive to contamination. So you know, if you if you chuck a little handful of sand on a lead screw, most of it's going to fall off, and mm. then most of the rest will get pushed out of the way by the nut. And then a tiny bit will get in there and slowly fuck things up. But, like, you know, a ball screw has to be lubricated to work. So if you throw a little handful of sand on there, a bunch of it's going to stick to the screw and then just get sucked straight into the, the nut and mix with the yep. ball bearings. And now you've got a bucket of scrap, right? So yeah. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you can get ball screws that have wipers on them, which work to kind of keep uh, the the uh, grooves clear, you know, keep contamination out. But there, I don't think you're going to find those on AliExpress. Yeah, I mean, that is probably my next <clears throat> question, actually. Lubrication of the machine. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought some, uh, I think it's PTFE lube, so it's like a dry lube, basically. Mm, okay. Is that the best kind of stuff to be using on the rails and that kind of thing? Mm, probably not. But <laughs> the problem is <laughs> you, you've got, like, conflicting needs, right? Because yeah. I'm guessing that, like, dust, <clears throat> dust can get to your rails pretty easily. Well, I'm very surprised that um, looking at this kind of machine, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it looks as if these 3040s, they've been produced for sort of eight, nine years at least, you know, right. the, the very right. first versions of them. And slowly over time, they've been slightly, you know, upgraded things, been bolted onto them and all that kind of thing. Um, and there's there's not many ways dust and sort of particles can get through and get to any of the rails. It's, it's, it's well... Uh, protected. It, I, right. I was really surprised, actually. Certainly, looking at pictures of of older ones, where you know it's an untrained eye, it, it looks as if it's the same machine. Um, but then looking at you know what I had delivered, there's yeah, hmm. it, it's pretty well protected. But um, obviously, I, you know, I put lubricant on anyway and all that kind of thing, yeah. um, which will. And I, I think the idea of, of using a PTFE lubricant, a dry lube, is that the stuff doesn't generally stick to it as yeah, well. So it'll give you exactly. the lubrication that you need. But um, the dust and that kind of stuff doesn't stick as it would with sort of like a machine in grease. I think that's that's the idea. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, so like my, I have two machines that use different systems. I have one oil machine and one grease machine. Um, mm-hmm. And oil is the best, but it's also the messiest. So my machine, if I'm running it every day, it drinks about a gallon of oil every month. Um. And basically, the reason that that's a good thing is because every time it's pumping fresh oil onto the the rails, it's displacing old oil that might have dirt in it, mm. right? So it's it's kind of like self cleaning. Um, my other machine is a grease machine, and you only have to grease that like once a year, and it doesn't make a mess. It's super convenient. But you know, if you were to get dust or whatever on that grease, like you know. Um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to put the air cleaner in my shop is because, like, if I'm sandblasting and somehow there's sand escaping, which there shouldn't be because I don't want to breathe that shit anyway, but let's say yeah. there was, you know, some of it's going to get on that grease and then just become, like, a destruction derby inside my machine. Yes, right? yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so I think in your situation, a dry loop makes sense for sure because you don't, you want to minimize the amount of stuff that's going to stick. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. However, okay. yeah, for ball screws, a dry, I don't think a dry loop is going to be enough. You're going to need grease. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The the next question. This is me just pumping <laughs> you with questions again. I love it, um, man. I love talking about CNC. This, this stuff, you know, <laughs> floats my boat, so to say. Stepper motors. So these have got <laughs> NEMA, I think they're NEMA 34s. Um, what? No. I th- no. think so. How big are they? I like so. uh, 50 millimeters on a side? Um, possibly, yeah, roundabouts, roundabouts. Yeah, so they're, they're um, probably NEMA 23s. You would know if you right? had NEMA 34s. Those are like, you, you'd look at it and be like, oh, that's a big Oh, right, boy. okay, they're big things. Yeah. Okay. These are certainly bigger than the the ones I had on my shitty, shitty CNC. Yeah, um, yeah. That's how I refer to them now, shitty, shitty, and shitty. Um, 
Um, yeah, so the yeah, standard is like up. NEMA 23s. And then like on right, okay. um, 3D printers and stuff, you'll often see NEMA 17s, which is probably what you've got on your shitty, shitty machine. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then NEMA 34s, like you'd need a really big machine to need to go up to 34s. So is NEMA a brand name or is that a, a descriptive name for the type of stepper motor? It's like a standard. It's, so it's basically a standard that defines the size of the mounting face for the, okay. for the motor. Okay. So everything behind the motor, as, as far as I understand it anyway, anything, everything behind the mounting face could be like a crazy shape, you know, mm. but that mounting face has to be consistent. Um, so NEMA 23 is like two two point something inches i forget the exact dimensions um and then there are different standards too you have like the 60 millimeter servos 40 millimeter servos then you have like nema 23 which is 57 millimeters it's pretty close to 60 then you have nema 24 which is actually 60 millimeters um but yeah all it does is define the size of the motor it doesn't define the strength of the motor or the speed of the motor or the type of the motor. It could be a, like a brushless servo. It could be a stepper motor. Gosh, yeah. So it's um, a standard for mounting then, I suppose. Like, yes, exactly. Like, like Visa would be VSA. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, like Visa for a, a monitor or a TV, exactly. Got you. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, closed loop stepper motors. What's the difference between that and a sort of standard one that you'd see on a shitty little CNC? Yeah, so I added this to the show notes like uh, a couple of months back because I mm. had just been... I've heard about them for a while, and they used to be different than they are now, and I didn't realize that. So, basically, a step motor is really interesting. It's it's like a pair of coils that are offset, and when you alternately activate the coils, it makes them the motor turn in little increments, usually 1.8 degrees, right? So, this is kind of the standard in inexpensive CNC machines, but they're also used a ton in other things like um, scanners, printers, you know, all sorts of stuff uses stepper motors. And the, the main reason is because they're really easy to control. All you have to do is turn these coils on and off. And each time you do that, it's going to move a specific increment. Like you'll know exactly how much it's moved. The problem is you have no guarantee that it's moved. So if you run up against something, you could happily tell the motor to keep moving. And it'll keep trying, but it won't be going anywhere. Um, and this is especially a problem in a CNC machine because sometimes you'll see unpredictable loads. You know, so if you've got like a, you're, you know, you're cutting a slot and it's full of chips and you weren't expecting it to be full of chips, then maybe it'll be a bit too hard to move through that part of the program and you might lose steps. So the stepper motor might, be commanded to move and it doesn't hmm. um, and then from that point onward everything in your program is now offset by the number of steps that you lost okay. right which yeah. which would be bad <laughs> very bad especially yeah. if it keeps happening because then what can happen is you know the, the the start of your program is in one spot and then the end of your program your machine zero has has drifted by like an inch you know yeah and it's commutative um, as well at each time yeah okay yeah exactly so closed loop steppers basically have an encoder on the stepper motor so that they can check to see whether or not the stepper motor moved as expected. And back in the day, you know, when I first heard about them, what would happen is the, the controller would command a, a movement, you know, one step, 
and the motor would try to make that step. And then if it couldn't, it would either raise an alarm or it would try to make the step again, right? Um, and that's not super useful because that that like corrective step isn't happening at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> so like stuff's gonna get messed up anyway. Um, but I didn't realize that like the newest versions of closed loop steppers are basically servo motors, but they're using a stepper motor as the the drive as the the the, the motor. And so, like, I bought a couple a couple of months ago just to try them out. And these things are beasts, and they're super cheap. Like, they're it was like $110 US per axis for um, the stepper motor itself, a really nice set of cables, which is actually a surprisingly expensive thing when you're looking at, like, servo motors, and then the control, um, like, the driver. Um, and they have, like, 4,000 count per rotation encoders on them so like really really fine-grained control Mm. and it's actually checking for motion in between every step like while it's making the step it's actively using the encoder to work out whether or not it's working and if it's not working like if it's not moving as expected then it increases the current to the coils in the motors and drives the motor harder straight away like a servo motor would in order to make that motion wow um, okay yeah and the, the really important thing for cnc with that is that like with a stepper motor you have to leave quite a large margin in terms of like your output power to make sure that you never lose steps and that means that you have to dial back the acceleration and top speed because otherwise you might try to accelerate too hard and you lose steps yeah. Whereas and with a no closed loop, no if you've missed this, yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. So you have to leave this big safety margin, right? Whereas with a closed loop stepper, you can get rid of all of that because the the driver will drive the motor harder in order to make sure that it makes the motion as you're commanded, and that means that all of a sudden you're unlocking like almost servo levels of performance um, in terms of acceleration because you don't have to leave all of that margin. Um, so yeah, I was I was super super impressed. Like, um, you know, just just to bench test these, I ran the exact same motor. So you can run that motor in open loop stepper, like normal stepper mode, with a normal stepper driver, or you can connect it to a closed loop stepper driver and run it closed loop. Mm-hmm. I ran it open loop, and was like um, rotating it one way for like you know twenty rotations, and then decelerating, reversing it, sending it the other way, and doing that as fast as I could while just, like, hanging onto the shaft of the motor with my my hand, like, creating friction. And it was pretty easy to get it to stall out. Like, it, you know, it starts, like, buzzing, and it's not turning. No problems at all. Like, I could do that by hand. Running it closed loop, no chance. Like, I could not stop that thing. Wow. Um, Because you're just applying more power. Way more power. Yeah. yeah, and generally too with stepper motors, one of the the downsides is the faster you're rotating, the less power they have, the less torque they have. Um, right, yeah. So as you go up into higher speeds, you're more likely to start mo- losing steps because you have less power available, and that drop off is way less pronounced with closed loop steppers too because they're able to compensate for the the higher speed. So, you know, I couldn't stop this thing even though it was running at much higher speeds and accelerations than. The open loop system wow so, so what application would you use that for 
CNC machines, man. Exactly like what yeah. you've got. You know, if you chuck ball screws on that and then some closed loop steppers, you know, you said before, oh, it's not very fast. Well, like, it could be. Hmm. Um, oh. So, yeah, like, if I was going to build, like, a little VMC and try and keep the, the cost as low as I could, then I'd be looking at closed loop steppers for sure. Like, the the advantages are, are pretty huge. Because, yeah. like, a servo system will be better for sure. But you're looking at, like, you know, three, $400 US at a minimum for cheap Chinese-made servos. Per axis. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then well, you have to go through, yeah. like, the tuning process. You actually have to, like, tune the servos to run properly with the load, um, which you don't have to do with closed-loop steppers. Um, so, yeah, anyway. <laughs> you, I, I launched off on a monologue <laughs> there. Yeah, but, like, clearly I like them. Like, I think that yeah. they're a really good, really good option, and, you know, they're a good, really good middle ground, I think. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Okay. Do it, Greg. I wanted you know to ask you, <laughs> did you hear um, in our weekly SpaceX news, which, which has become a thing, <laughs> um, first of all, anything anything going on there that we should know about? Any more um, test launches? Anything blowing not, up? Is there anything? No, not as far as I know. But it did Yeah, no, I think it was week before that they had a, a, a splody rocket. Mm, yeah. I think we're waiting on the next hopefully less explodey rocket. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you if you heard the Elon Musk interview this week with Joe Rogan. No, and I didn't. He's, be, he's been on a few times now. Yeah. And Quite famously clearly... that first time, the, the thug life smoking weed on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. But they, they've clearly built quite a good rapport and they're very sort of relaxed. Uh, well, Elon certainly seems to be very relaxed now. Um mm. Uh, you know, in in the studio there, and he was there because um, they they're in Texas now. Joe Rogan's new studios in Texas, where he lives, and um, they were talking about um, uh, they were talking about Tesla and the mm-hmm. new um, you know the new Cybertruck, and that's where they've decided to to build it. Right. Um. And, and he was saying that you know we we could have gone anywhere in the U.S. to build this this truck. Um, and so he said to the staff, he said, well, you know, it's up to you guys. Where should we build it? You know, he's got a fair bit of money in his back pocket. He, he can afford a new, a new office space somewhere. <laughs> um, and he said, get back to me next week with a list of places. And then we'll, we'll go look and see what we can find. So they come back to him. They said, uh, he said, what's, what's the top of the list? He said, Austin. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, OK, well, what's number two on the list? And they were like, no, just Austin. Just Austin, that's where we want to be. And he's like, okay, cool. So he <laughs> he's done like two and a half thousand acres um, next to the airport um, oh, in nice. Austin that he's purchased. So it's, it's a little city, um, and it's it's going to be just for the the new Cybertruck. Um, but what was really interesting is when he was talking about um, you know the, the current cars and the, the the next sort of models of them. Because I think we talked last week, like the Model S, it's built on a sort of nearly 10 years now and then yep. sort of iterated slightly it's not they haven't done a full redesign so they were talking about what he was he was calling it his fabergé egg which is the model x which is like the suv version of a model s yeah which is it's super raised fancy going powered doors cool, and, yeah yeah it's got the gold wing windows and so on the uh, doors um, and he was saying this was our opportunity to put all the fun stuff that we ever wanted to do into into a car. And you saw, you said, you know, it's by far the most fun of the Teslas and so on. 
Um, but then they were saying about the, the the played edition or plied, as I as I called it last week. Um, so there's going to be one of those editions of the Model X, but there's also going to be a SpaceX edition of the Model X. <laughs> okay. So Joe Rogan's nearly fallen off his chair. He's, he's wet at this point. He's like, what the hell is this going to do, you know? <laughs> and um, Elon Musk is saying, well, I've always wanted a car to be able to fly. So he's like, oh, is it going to fly? Is it gonna... He's like, clearly can't fly because of you know safety issues and so on. Right. Um, but he said, we're going to have a Model X edition, so there'll be no back seats. So obviously the SUV is built for families, so you, I think you can go up to seven seats on the Model X. He said, we can strip all that out, so it'll be a two-seater. Um, but kidding. we will have jet propulsion. And he was like, <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? What, what, what's going to happen? He said, well, we could certainly get it to float. Um, and he said we could get it to float up to, you know, maybe a meter high. Um, and it, it could actually, it, it technically could work. You could actually drive it that way. Had they already started um, smoking weed by this point? They were drinking whiskey at the time. Right. <laughs> um, but you say the biggest issue is um, it would be completely safe, but um, whether the regulatory boards and so on would allow that. So, you know, he said the other option, he said, and it's going to happen. He said it's definitely going to happen is you could press a button. It would James Bond style rotate the uh, the license plate on the back. <laughs> You'd get these two sort of jet exhausts coming out and it would give you the most insane acceleration speed. Um, right, literally with jet engines in in a family SUV, and this will be the the SpaceX edition. And he wasn't pulling his chair; he was serious. He's saying, "Yeah, this, we're going all out on this, and we're this, we're going to make this a thing." And it was it's just in, so matter the way he talks so matter of fact about the most crazy shit. It's just unbelievable. And just listening to the conversation, you can tell he you know he's not he's not like a figurehead of of Tesla or SpaceX. He's literally, you know, head designer, and he knows everything about every single system. It's it's a really, really good listen, and I just find him so, so fascinating because <laughs> it's 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 just crazy how how this guy's mind works. Yeah, I find like I don't know, like I I find him a very interesting guy. Like um, mm. I read his uh, biography a while back, and it's a very interesting read. But yeah, like he's he's a lunatic. Like he's yeah, he's clearly nuts. But like, he applies himself to these things in a in a way that like only a lunatic could. You know, like, um, yeah. And I I don't I don't I don't really care about jet cars, but like, space and electric vehicles are are super super cool. You know, so yeah. And he's obviously talking about SpaceX a fair bit as well. And um, Joe asked him about um, when do you think it'll be commonplace for people to be able to get up into space, um, you know, just for the trip around and come back, land safely. Um, and what, what I found really funny was like with Elon's response. So, oh, we could we, probably within two years that'll be happening. And there, there should be a high probability of people surviving. <laughs> what? <laughs> but that's the way you, you can imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. The board, um, just like oh shit, our shares are gonna drop like crazy. But they didn't this time. Um, but uh, I, yeah, his, the way his mind was, and he was talking about you know he generally works till sort of two a.m. Um, but he's very pleased to get six hours sleep um, and anything above or less. He, he's not working at full capacity and so on. It's, it's, mm. it's just it is completely fascinating and um, yeah, it's, it's definitely worth a listen. 
All right. Yeah, I, I like Joe Rogan's interview style. Like, he really does let his guests be themselves, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah, even when he's interviewing yeah. people that I really dislike. Um, yeah, I, I find that I can only <clears throat> listen to ones where his guests, I think, will be interesting. Mm. If it's him and his mates just smoking and getting off their head, he's just like, ah, oh, people right. have heard this a million times, you know? Yeah. But no, it's good. It's, it's, it's good fun. Okay. I'll have to check it out. So many podcasts yeah. to listen to. Doesn't matter. So as long many. as you're listening to this one, you're listening to the best one. Yeah, well, yeah, it's one of the best. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually, so um, as some of our listeners may know, I also do another podcast called Knife Talk, which is specifically which is about knife right. making. It's all right. Um, <laughs> but uh, today I'm recording my third podcast. Oh, wow. Oh, what are you starting? Um, it, it's completely, it's a personal sort of passionate pro uh, project, if you like, that I've been, I've been actually working on for weeks and weeks and weeks now. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of sort of, this is nothing to do with CNC, nothing to do with knives, but, um, you know, music. I, I play music, mm -hmm. I write music and all that kind of stuff. And, and I've always, like, as a kid, I'd study sort of album sleeves and I'd know who played harmonica on track six of, you know, the song and, you know, right. who produced it, who the engineer and assistant was. You're a music nerd. You know. Yeah, yeah, basically. And um, right. we don't get that anymore because we generally, we're using Spotify, we're using Mm -hmm. Apple Music, and we, we see this little one inch by one inch screenshot of what the sleeve would should look like, and all the rest of it. And um, I really enjoy. I don't know if you know Song Exploder, which is a podcast, yeah. which is now a, a Netflix series where they take a track and they go you know into detail about the track how it was recorded, and uh, they'll play little right. takes that kind of thing. Um, but Spotify now allows you to play music, um, like album tracks and you know albums basically, within a podcast. Oh, okay. Um, only for Spotify podcasts. Right, it makes sense. So, they already have the license, right? Exactly, yeah. And the people are getting paid for it, and it, it just works well for everybody. So it's something called Sleeve Notes, um, hmm. where I take a, an album, which was sort of a classic to me, sort of growing up, and I find people who are listed in the Sleeve Notes, and I interview them. Um, and in between that chat, they'll, we'll play the album. So it'll be sort cool. of it's an hour and a half per episode. We play the whole album, and in between each track, we talk about different things. So for this first one, which I've actually recorded three sessions already, and today is the last one, um, we're talking about an album, and I've got the, the engineer who worked in the studio on the album, so he's talking about the, the technical parts of recording. Um, I've also spoken to the, the sleeve designer, mm. um, a guy, uh, Brian Cannon from Microdot, which which they were huge in the 90s. All the British bands, basically, they did all the sleeves. Um, and I've also got the the video director of one of the songs from the album as well. So we're, so we're breaking it down completely, and it, it, right. it's real fun. So, yeah, so that's, that's another podcast which is coming up. <laughs> so are we talking, like, classic Brit albums, like the Beano album and the Beatles and stuff, or are we... Well, classic to me. So the first one is probably isn't known so so much in America. The first one is um, an Oasis album, which is What's the Story, Morning Glory, mm -hmm. um, which basically got me into playing guitar when I was sort of sixteen, seventeen. Right. Um, that that made me pick up a guitar. Um, so yeah, so that's really cool. And there, there's a, a huge fan base of Oasis in the UK. Um, I've started doing um, OK Computer with Radiohead. Ooh, um, good one. So, so that's pretty cool. Um, I'm hoping to get more people involved in that as well. Right. 
um, with regards to you know being around the album, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's pretty cool. So the, these won't be you know weekly podcasts. These would be maybe one a month. There's no there's no time scale for it. Um, but what's great is let's say you go to Spotify and you say. I mean, this first one is What's a Story, Morning Glory. If you say What's a Story, Morning Glory, it'll list that album, but it'll also now list podcasts as well. Mm. So it'll say What's a Story, Morning Glory with sleeve notes. Cool. Man. So you can listen to the album and you'll get me talking to people around the album as well. So yeah, it's pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to that, launching the first one, which as I said, the last session is tonight. So I'm hoping within a week or so I'll be able to launch that one. Nice. That sounds good, actually. Yeah, it's fun. And I said, I'm a big, huge fan of Song Exploder, and this is basically a rip-off of that. Right. Um, but just leveraging the fact that now Spotify will allow me to play play out a whole album, which is nice. Well, can I make a request? Of course, of course. Dummy by Portishead. Ah, very good. And they're, they're from Bristol, which isn't yeah. far from my hometown in Cardiff. Yeah, I figured you were focusing on British uh, artists. Yeah, so. and... Particularly for me, 90s sort of, I wouldn't say Britpop as it, as it was known at the time, but mm-hmm. British music in the in the 90s or mid-90s onwards. Um, that was my sort of genre. That was, people always say, you know, when you're sort of 17, 18 and you're into music, that's yeah. that's your genre. That's where you're going to love the rest of your life. And, well, and that certainly is the case for me. So. Yeah. And if, if listeners are into music and haven't heard Dummy by Porter's Head, Grab a yeah. good pair of headphones and, and a drink and just sit down and close your eyes and listen to that album. It's like almost a religious experience. It's a really, yeah. really with, good with album. With headphones, yeah. it's, it's a good one. Yeah. yeah. And if you're into things like Massive Attack and that sort of, the whole sort of Bristol scene then in the mid-90s, yeah. it's, it's a really good album. Yeah. The beat yeah. and the Hammond organ on that on that whole album. Oh, so good. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's a good one. That That's a good a good suggestion, actually, for an album. And I'm pretty sure I get people involved with the band with that as well so, sweet yeah, that'd be cool i'll listen to that that'd be cool that's a show we shall try and do more cnc stuff next week and it won't be just me asking um Aaron questions about my shitty little machine no no this this week was a good <laughs> show like it's i you know we're, we're in, talking through the concepts that that we wanted to originally you know like getting yeah, no i agree yeah getting into the the meat of cnc you know the meat of cnc yeah. that's what your tattoo says the meat of cnc there you go <laughs> Figuring we it out it. week that's by week. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. With that, the meat of CNC tattooed right across Aaron's t- chest. That's the show. We yep. shall speak to you again next week. Thank you. Have a great week, guys. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.